Megan, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. We're continuing a series on encounters with Christ for just a couple more weeks. Tonight, uh, the, the, uh, this morning, the Feeding of 5,000, that's the title, Feeding of the 5K. It's not about a run. It's about a miracle, feeding 5,000 people. So let's take a moment, we'll pray together. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of gathering within the shelter of these walls, just to take a moment and remind ourselves and one another that the world we live in isn't random violence and racism, but rather, Father, uh, that there's a plan and that history's heading toward an end of hope and renewal and healing. I pray, Father, that even in these moments that we have together, these few moments, that we'd hear from you about our part in that story of hope. Speak to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So in John 10, Jesus says this, and many of you know this verse. It's a pretty bold claim by Christ. Uh, Jesus says, the thief comes only to uh, lie, steal, and kill. But then Jesus, in contrast, he says, I've come that you might have, does anyone know? Let's try it again. I've come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. So two promises, life, and that word is zoe in the Bible. It's a, it's a word for life. It's not your biological life. You already have that. He didn't come to give you biological life. You have it. He came to give you zoe, spiritual life. In other words, he came to infuse your being with the, the, the joy and hope and mercy and wisdom and strength that is really uh, your destiny and your calling but that was lost in the fall. I came to give you something that was lost. And not just give it to you so you have enough, but I came to give it to you in abundance. So imagine, here's the offer on the table. Joy, joy, peace, mercy, hope, wisdom, strength, generosity, compassion. And not just a little bit, but abundance of that. That's why Christ came. And if that's what Christ is offering us, the question on the table this morning is this, what prevents, like, how come we're not living that way? How come we're not living in the fullness of life that Christ came to give? And then Jesus goes on to answer that very question many times in the Bible. He says, for example, worry can choke the seed of your calling, or the love of wealth can choke the seed of your calling, or discouragement because life isn't turning out well, and you become a little bitter, and then you miss your calling. This calling of like abundant life, spiritual life, we miss it for many reasons. But there's a big reason that we miss it that's articulated in this particular text. One of the big reasons we don't stay the course is that we fail to learn two very important things. Number one, we fail to learn the essence of our calling. And the essence of your calling, as we'll see, pardon me, <laughs> the essence of your calling, as we'll see, is that we're made uh, to be people of hope actively blessing the world. So you're called not just to get by, build a career, have some kids, raise them, have them have kids, and then die. That's not it. You're called to actively bless in specific ways beyond. So the blessing of Christ pours through. That's the first thing. And to do that calling, you need to learn how to appropriate the resources of Christ's life. So I need to know my calling, and I need to learn how to appropriate the resources. And if I fail on either of those points, I'll miss it. 
maybe you know your calling. I'm called to bless, but you're not drawing the resources of Christ. There's a word for that, burnout, right? Or maybe you love drawing the resources of Christ, but you're, but you're not actively blessing. And that's kind of, then you end up kind of as spiritual consumers, also unhealthy. So we need to be receiving all that Christ is so that we can then give. A beautiful metaphor of this is found in Psalm 1-3. So uh, if I read that for you, this is what it says. It says that the person who is continually receiving from God is, verse 3 of Psalm 1, like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And so this is a stream, and there's trees by this stream. This particular stream is actually the almost the headwaters of the King's River down in California. So my wife and I were down there this last week, and uh, we we went down into King's Canyon. Has anyone ever been down in King's Canyon in California? It's like four people. No one goes there. And there's a reason no one goes there. The reason is when you're up top and you look at, at least this was our reason, that we were hesitant, you look out across a canyon and it just looks like a dry desert, right? It's brown, dusty, arid, and if you're like me, a Northwest lover, you're like, why would I do that? That's a waste of time. Am I going to go breathe dust for a few hours? No way. But people kept saying to us, hey, go all the way down. It'll be amazing when you get to the bottom. Then you you go down, you get to the bottom, and then you go this long road, you get to the end of the road, and at the end of the road, this river, who knows where the water comes from, but the, the river's there, and the trees are just gigantic and lush. There's all these ferns. It looks like it looks like home, actually. We were, walk, we were hiking. We're going, we go, man, this is, feels just like the Northwest. It's amazing. But we never would have known. But the thing is, these trees are abundantly blessing the environment because they're drawing upon resources. And that's the picture. Draw upon resources, be a blessing. That is your calling as a Christ follower. Uh, but, but to discover that calling, this morning in this text, there's three essential elements we need to see. First, we need to see the context of this text. So it's a bit of a Bible study this morning. We're going to look at context. Second, we need to see the resource challenge that all of us face in living in our calling. And third, we need to make a decision at the end. What's our next step to take toward being people of blessing? So first, let's look at the essence of our calling as seen in the context of this story, right? So in the book of Luke, uh, if you're kind of a Bible geek and you love kind of studying the Bible... Then a pattern emerges in the book of Luke. Jesus made three separate tours of the region of Galilee in the book of Luke. And in the first tour, he had his disciples with him. In the first tour, Jesus calls his disciples, and then he's doing stuff for them and kind of doing stuff in their presence. So he's like this, hey, watch and learn, right? Learn, kind of watch me, I'm going to do stuff. Second, he's inviting them to do stuff with him, in a sense, and learn by doing. And then third... We come to Luke 9, and Jesus is like this. You do it. You, like you feed the 5,000. You cast out the demon, right? You become great. So uh, we move from, these are my words now, we move from being spiritual consumers where we're receiving to learners where we're kind of doing with God and Christ to producers. That's the pattern. And that's a pattern of discipleship. And 
For many of you, if you have a job, that's probably how you learned your job as well. Supervisor comes along and he says, hey, this is what you do. Dun, 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 dun. And then he says, now you do it. And then you do it and he's watching. And then he goes, whoops, nope, wrong. And then he corrects you and then you learn. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to leave and here you go. Here's your computer and your notebook and make a million dollars. I'll be back tonight, you know, kind of thing. So uh, that same pattern is in the Bible with Jesus. But this is, it's called discipleship. So that's the thing. From, from uh, consumer to learner to producer. And increasingly, as I get older, I realize this is a really, really important pattern that we kind of sink down into and understand. All of us are blessed to be a blessing, right? And, and, and so we've got to learn here how to move to becoming a producer. Now, let me make it clear what Jesus isn't saying. He isn't saying every time you see a need, you're the solution to meeting that need. He isn't saying that. If you just said, for example, you know what, um, I'm going to stop and talk to every person who's in need of a handout at the freeway, at the grocery store, uh, you may never do anything else because the needs are immense, right? Or I'm going to address homelessness and poverty and human trafficking and racism and environmental degradation and uh, whatever. Like, I'm going I'm to take on eight big things. No, you won't. Or you may, and then you'll burn out. So no, he's not saying you, let, you have to do everything, every, every need you see. Jesus didn't do that. In Mark 1, there's a whole town waiting to have his needs met, and he walks out the side door. So what's up with that? Well, Jesus is blessing in response to the Father's direction to bless. At other times, he's restoring. Jesus has this rhythm of withdrawal and engagement, solitude and service. Prayer and, and hospitality. So, so Jesus is engaged in a rhythm, and he wants to, us to have this uh, similar rhythm, right? Not a legalistic rhythm, but a rhythm in tune with God's directives in our lives. So we're not called to always give, but we are called to give. And not only are we called to give, it's our primary calling. In Romans 12, Apostle Paul summarizing Romans, which, by the way, is, we'll study this fall, Romans, uh, Apostle Paul summarizing Romans, he, this is what he says. He says, look, um, whatever gift God has given you, make sure you use that gift. In other words, find your gift and use it to be a blessing to others because why did God give you a gift? God gave you a gift, not so you could hoard your gift. God gave you a gift to, to serve others, to be a blessing. So receive the gift and then use it. And so, Romans 12, if you're insanely wealthy... And some of you are, probably. I wish I knew who you were, but I don't. If you're, insanely, if you're insanely wealthy, then give generously, right? Don't just, you know, give 10%. Maybe you can give 50% or 60%. Fine. Then stretch yourself and give to be a blessing. If you're a teacher, <clears throat> then learn your stuff and teach in a way that's engaging and go deep in teaching. If your gift is encouragement, then encourage. If your gift is service, then serve. If your gift is hospitality, throw the best parties. Whatever it is that you do, like whatever, this is Ecclesiastes 9, Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might because when you get to the grave, you can't do it anymore. So do it now, basically. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. So we have gifts for the purpose of blessing others. That's the thing. And when you see these gifts, I, I got to tell you, when you see these gifts, I'm, I'm always encouraged by people who to the very end of their days are using their gifts. I'll tell you two stories to illustrate this. There's a guy in Switzerland, named George at the Bible school where I teach in Switzerland. He's 85 years old, 
and he has a gift of encouragement, and he's blessed as well with good health for whatever reason. So I'll teach all morning, and then uh, at the end of the morning, George will stand up with announcements, and he'll say to the students, they've sat in lectures all morning. He says, okay, now this afternoon, we're going snowshoeing. And who leads the snowshoe trip? George does, right, at 85. So here's all these 18-year-olds, and here's George. Come on! We don't have time to wait, you know, and he's moving, you know, he's strong. And then the next day, we're going cross-country skiing. And then the next day, we're going sledding. And then the next day, we're going to a cheese factory. And then the next day, we're going downhill skiing, right? And we're going to start at the top of the Eiger and ski all the way back to town, 10 miles downhill. Keep up with me. That's George, right? So this guy, what I love about him is at 85, he's like this. I'm not done. Like, I haven't... I've decided to kind of withdraw from life and watch Netflix until I die. No, 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 no. I'm going to use my gifts to bless. Now, shouldn't that encourage you to use your gifts? I hope so, right? All of us are called to use our gifts. So that, that's a thing. But also, when I share the George story, sometimes people say to me, well, whatever, George is genetically like an anomaly, right? At 85, still skiing, I can't do that. I'll tell you a second story then. When, when I was a youth pastor... Uh, the senior pastor, this is down in L.A., he says to me, I want you to go visit this lady, Jenny. She's dying of cancer. And I said, to my shame, I don't want to visit Jenny. I don't even know what to say to her, A. B, I'm a youth pastor, right? I like to play basketball and rock climb. I don't want to go visit Jenny. He said, no, I'm your boss. And she, for whatever reason, he said, she wants to see you. Go, you're going to visit Jenny. So I walk in, and I was a little... Uh, amateur at this. What, a lot, okay. A lot amateur. Oh, and I say, hi, Jenny, I hear you're dying of cancer. I'm here to pray for you. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good, right? <laughs> Learn by doing. So, okay, that's it. Jenny goes, oh, no, you don't need to pray for me. I already know I'm dying. It's not a problem. I'm ready to go. It's, not, it's fine. She said, I called because I want to hear about the youth ministry before I die so I can pray for you. So here's this 84-year-old woman who's dying of cancer. She says, how can I pray for you? And I said, well, I'm glad you asked because just recently uh, I threw a party in the Christian Ed building and we rented one of those big giant McDonald's things, those coolers, and we had about five or ten gallons of orange Kool-Aid or whatever in there. And we turned the lights out. We're playing games with blast ball things and cannons and stuff. And somebody knocked it over. There's a giant stain on the carpet and at the board meeting, uh, there was a big debate, should we ever allow Richard into the CE building again? <laughs> because every time he's with a youth, something bad happens, right? And so I said, I'm kind of discouraged, you know, and, and uh, I kind of feel like nobody likes me and all this stuff. So she says, oh, I'm going to call those board members and tell them they need to let you in and to let that, let that should be filled with stains, she said. Because... <laughs> Because that's, that means it's being used. We don't want this to be a museum or something like that, you know. And then she, she says, I come over here. And she lays hands on me. She prays for me. She prays for courage. She prays for perseverance. She prays for encouragement. And then, and then she says, I'm so glad you came. And I go, I'm glad too. I'm glad too. Not because not I gave you anything, Jenny, but because I received. At 84, so she's, she's not George, but she's using her gifts. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, that's the life for which everyone in the room are created. To find our gift, go deep in it, and use it. And if we don't, 
we will get bored. That's the deal. So, you define our gifts, and in this kind of third tour of Galilee, we realize that the disciples are going to learn here that they're called to be a blessing. And some of us are stuck at the consumer level. Like you come to church and you're just receiving. And you have been for a year or ten. There's a time to sit and receive. You already heard me say that. But I understand, always in the end, the receiving that you are privileged to consume From God's perspective, it's toward an end. And the end is that you might, having received, now be fortified to give, right? Here's how Jesus said it. Freely you've received, freely keep. Remember that? Oh, no, that's not it. Freely you've received, freely give. That's the whole point. So we should ask the question, how am I blessing others? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, there are those among you, speaking of the Corinthian church, who are stuck as perpetual consumers. And I'll just say, uh, when you're stuck as a perpetual consumer, pretty quickly the Christian life gets boring. And then this thing that we do here becomes the object of your, like your criticisms. And if you're just a consumer, then you'll, ultimately it's unsatisfactory because you're like this. Pastor preaches too long, or too short, or he talks too fast, or he dresses... Um, too poorly, or whatever it is. Like, it could be anything. Like, you're like, yeah, you know, if I were king of the world, you know, and then you have a different plan, but you're not doing anything other than consuming. And if all you do is consume, then you end up being a critique. We all know this because we're Seahawk fans, right? So none of us are playing the game. We're not, we're not playing. We're just sitting on Saturday night, you know, watching a pregame and go, oh, I guess January is going to be boring, and we're suddenly criticizing because of what we see. Well, we don't have skin in the game. And God is saying, look, that's fine for football, but as a Christian, no, it's not the same thing. You're not coming to an event here. You are the event. Like, you're the body of Christ. You have gifts to give. Use your gifts. So that's the deal. Why don't we? Here's why. Resource challenge. So in the story, in Luke 9, these, Jesus has been busy, you know, teaching, and there's a big crowd with him. And so he's been teaching all day. The day is ending, and the 12 come to Jesus and say, send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get something to eat, for we're here in a desolate place. And Jesus says, this just cracks me up, Jesus says, you, got, you feed them. You give them something to eat. Well, they don't have any food. They go, we have five loaves and two fish. Kind of it's a statement, subtext, 5,000 men? You want us to feed them? It's not, it's not possible. In other words, here's the, here's the disciples. You're asking us to do something that we don't have the resources to do. Ah, there it is. We don't have enough food, so no, we're no, we can't do it. Oh, let's expand this because it applies to all of us in the room. Yeah, I don't have enough energy to do uh, my calling. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough compassion. So we live small instead of becoming John 7, a river of living water, we're, like we're perpetually thirsty. Why? Because we're not in God's story giving the way God has called us to give. 
because we say things like this. I'd love to give financially to the work of being a blessing in the world, but I don't because I'm saving for retirement. As soon as I have enough, then I'll give. Read the book of Haggai. You'll never have enough until you start giving, ironically. I'd love to serve, but I'm too busy. I'd love to be hospitable, but I'm too tired at the end of the day. I have a vision for I think God could use me, but it would mean I need to quit my current high-paying job and trust God for provision as I cast out into the deep waters of following what God has put in my heart, and I don't have the courage to do that. I don't have the resources. I don't have the faith to do it. I don't have the faith. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have enough. And here's Jesus. Of course you don't. You don't have enough. That's right. I'm asking you to do what you can't do so that you'll learn that while you lack human resources... In the strength of your own humanity, you'll never do it. I will give you the resources to do what you can't do on your own. So stick close with me, and you'll see. And then, by the way, subtext, not spoken here, but later learned, in my resurrection, I will empower you so that you always have at your disposal nothing less than the risen Jesus living in you, enabling you to do what you cannot do, be what you cannot be, go where you don't even want to go. So get on with it. Christ lives in you. So that's kind of the way the story unfolds. And the way that Jesus is going to teach this is he's going to show them that your human resources aren't the point at all. Do you remember the story? I don't know where it is, but it's in the Bible. Um, it's the story of, uh, hey, uh, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, and then he gets in the boat, and, and he says uh, to the disciples in the boat with him, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Do you guys remember that story? And then the disciples, it says the disciples then were, th I love this, they're thinking to themselves, oh, Jesus said beware the leaven because we forgot to bring bread in the boat. And we're going to go all the way to the other side of the uh, Sea of Galilee and Jesus is going to have a, like an insulin reaction or something in the boat and he's going to be bummed and he's mad at us. How could you not bring bread? We have to eat every three hours. They think that that's what Jesus is saying. And, and I love this. It says, Jesus, knowing their hearts, says this, are your hearts hard? And then, to develop what he means by that, because it sounds a little mystical, especially since they hadn't said anything, right? Are your hearts hard? And he says, hey, do you remember? Five loaves, two fish. How many did I, uh, did I feed? 5,000, plus women and children. Oh, seven loaves and three fish, or whatever the other numbers were. How many did I feed? 4,000. And, and then, here's Jesus, and you're worried about bread? Are you kidding me? I will always provide what you need to do what you're called to do, always. So first, know you're called, but if you're called, know I'll give you the resources. Often, you won't get the resources until in obedience you step into the calling, but the resources will be there. That's the point, Right? So then Jesus takes the bread and uh, the, the five loaves and he says, I mean, 5,000 men bust up into groups of 50. And if you're the disciples, this is just crazy. That's 100 groups of 50, right? And he's got five loaves. And he says, now we're going to start passing out. And then as he's passing it out, he says, hey, don't forget to pick up the leftovers, which is hysterical. The leftovers, really. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. And in fact, when they ate, there were 12 baskets of leftovers uh, that, they, that they picked up at the end. So here, what's the point of the story? Like, don't argue about how the miracle happened. It's not the point. 
The point is, Jesus touches it and it becomes enough because Jesus is the creator of everything. So resources are never a problem. Colossians 1.16, by him all things were created. So if Christ is the source of all creation, it means that Christ will be able to create what's needed for any and every situation. And Christ will do so in a way that God will get the glory. So, so uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, when Israel's thirsty in the desert, water comes out of a rock. And then we read later, the rock was Christ. Christ is a provision. Bread is provided in the desert, and the bread is provided by Christ. Christ is the manna. Christ is the provision. When it's time for a famine, uh, excuse me, when there's a time famine and Joshua's fighting a battle, and he says, man, I need more hours in the day to win this battle, Christ makes the, the, the sun stand still. So whatever you need, time, money, strength, wisdom, compassion, I'll give it to you. Know your calling, and then watch me give you what you need. Like to build this sanctuary, for example... We went to the city, and they said, oh, uh, you can't build a sanctuary because to have a sanctuary, you have to have a parking lot in the back that's big enough for a fire truck to turn around. And you, can, you don't have enough room. If, if you owned a certain house on 81st, you'd then if you had that house, you'd have enough room. But since you don't have that house, bye-bye. So then, well, just very briefly later, we're uh, talking to the guy in this particular house, and he's outside. He's good friends with, with us as the church. He has a big garden. And he used to give us, uh, like, uh, salsa, right? Really good. Homemade. So we're talking to him. Hey, how's it going? And this, he's just, this is what he just says. He says, you know, if I could change anything, I wish I had southern sun. My garden is eastern. It's only morning sun. And when you're trying to grow peppers and tomatoes, they don't grow very well because it's only eastern sun. Well, Bethany had just bought a house on 80th. And the whole front yard is obviously what? Southern sun. So we said to this guy, wouldn't it be cool if, like, we traded houses and you took the house on 80th and we took the house on 81st and then you'd have your southern sun and we'd have our fire truck space, right? And he's like this, yeah, that's a great idea. I'd love to do that. And that's, uh, that's why we're sitting here, right? Because look what, look what God did. Look what God did. Now, you don't fabricate that. Do you understand? You don't say, hey, let's make a plan. How are we going to do this? Let's get this guy to fall in love with gardening on Eastern Slope so that he grows stuff subpar, and then we'll offer, no, 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 no. Well, here's what you do. You listen. What am I called for? What am I called to? And then you step into it, and then you watch God provide. That's delightful. And many of us aren't stepping in because like the disciples, we preemptively presume that we don't have the resources to do what we're called to do. And again, to reiterate, no, you don't have the resources. But God wants to write a story through you testifying of God's capacity to provide for you when you can't provide for yourself. We moved up into the mountains in 1990, and two weeks into our time in the mountains, we discovered that we live on what was called windy flats for a reason, right? Uh, whenever northeasters come, those storms out of the northeast, the wind comes like a funnel from the Fraser River up in Canada, and it, would blow, and it would blow right on our house, exactly. So this big storm, and uh, the, the wind's blowing about 80, 90 miles, miles an hour, and it's like five degrees, so frozen fir trees are just snapping all over the place, and they're falling on people's roofs, and people are moving into shelters, right? Long about midnight, big spotlight shining in the window of, of our house, 
and we're all huddled around the, the, the wood stove in our sleeping bags because the electricity's out and there's no power. So we're heating this little room with our wood stove. And I go outside and I talk to the guy with a big spotlight, and it's the search and rescue emergency people or whatever, and, and I go, how come you're shining a spotlight on our house? He goes, well, we're trying to decide whether the people who have left their own houses need to come to your house for shelter or whether we should evacuate you as well. And I said, why do you want to evacuate me? He says, well, that, that cedar tree right in front of your house, big, huge cedar tree, um, the wind is blowing so fast, we're afraid that that tree's going to fall on your house. And I naively said, oh, there's nothing to worry about. It's been there 100 years. I'm sure it'll last a long time, you know. And so then the storm ends, and we go, oh, you know, remember that guy? Maybe we should have somebody come cut that tree down. So the logger comes, and he cuts a tree, and he, he comes to us, and he shows us. He says, you know what? It's rotten entirely on the inside. There's only an inch around the outside. The whole thing is rotten. He says, I can't believe it didn't fall on your house in the, in the windstorm. Like, how did that happen? Oh, you know. Coincidence. It happens, you know, amazing things. Here's the, here's the point. If we're called, God provides for it. Doesn't mean trees never fall on houses. Don't mishear me. Doesn't mean we're all, it's, this isn't healthy, wealthy, wise stuff. This is whatever you're called to, God will provide. So if you know you're called, take a step and then watch what God does. Because that's the beauty of the Christian life. That's what makes it an adventure instead of boring religion to live into our calling, but if we only assess on human terms, we don't step in. And then our world, you know, shrinks down, and we end up actually bored with Christianity because we're consumers rather than producers. So, in the end, it's your move. Like, to the disciples in Luke 9, what did Jesus say? You give them something to eat. And his words lay the foundation for their movement from consumers to producers... Because while Christ does this particular miracle, he's setting them up for the reality that through the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing less than the resurrected Jesus will live in them, empowering them to do whatever he's calling them to do, right? So uh, in, in, in John 14, 12, here's what Jesus said. He says, listen, I'm going away, but because I go away, greater works will you do than I've done. That's a mysterious verse. How can you do greater stuff than Jesus did? Here's how. Jesus in his humanity was confined, as we know, in time and space, right? He could only be on, in one place on any given day. If I'm in Capernaum, I'm not in Jerusalem. If I'm in Jerusalem, I'm not in Syria. If I'm in Syria, I'm not in Galilee. That's the way it works. So I can only be in one place. Now, where's, Christ, where's the risen Jesus today? Oh, you know, Seattle and Beijing and Laos and downtown right now and on the east side and in King's Canyon, everywhere, everywhere. How is Christ everywhere? Because the risen Christ now, by virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit, lives in you, enabling you by providing resources to live into your calling so that you can enjoy what? Not just life, Zoe, but life abundant so that you have enough to bless others. That's it. Christ lives in you. That's why Jesus said in Luke 24, hey, I'm leaving you guys go to Jerusalem and hole up and don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. Because that's what Jesus is saying. I don't want your help. Don't help me. Instead, I, once you're empowered, it'll be my life animating your being, and you will now do nothing less 
than the work of the risen Jesus. That's your calling. But sadly, many of us are trained from the beginning of our lives to think like Moses. So that when God called Moses, Moses was going to preemptively disqualify himself by virtue of his human capacity. And God says to Moses, you're called to lead. And remember what Moses said? He said, I can't lead. And here's why I can't lead. I'm, I'm not good at communicating. I'm not a good speaker. I stutter or whatever it was. He said, I am not skilled in speech. God says, look, I don't care if you're skill, skilled in speech or not. I'm calling you. And by the way, who made your mouth? So, if I, look, if I call you to speak, do you think I can maybe give you words since I created language? So if, I, if I'm calling you to give, do you think I can maybe provide for your needs? If I'm calling you to, to exercise hospitality, do you think I can maybe give you enough energy to throw a party? Yes, 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 abundantly yes. If God's calling, he, God will give you resources. Uh, on the second, so let's go to the next picture. On the second day, the, when we hiked in the Sierras, we, we went into the Sequoia National Forest. These are the biggest living things on the planet, these trees. When I saw them, I took the picture, and then as soon as I, my first response when I saw the picture was this. Oh, who photoshopped my wife into a picture, shrinking her down and putting her in with a tree? Because it looks, doesn't it look fake to you? It looks fake to me. No, no, that's my wife, five foot five, and she is a tree hugger, so she's trying to, you know, <laughs> encourage the tree. <laughs> Donna's not here, I can talk about her. I mean, it's so... <laughs> It's so cute. I mean, she, she loves trees, and so she literally is trying to hug it, and she's talking to it, and it's, I, it just warms my heart. Anyway, <laughs> so there she is. They, these trees aren't just big, 2,000 years old. 2,000 years old. And, and, and biggest thing on the planet. And this particular tree, like there are in this forest, the biggest trees have names, right? Like, like General Grant tree, General Sherman tree, General Roosevelt tree or President Roosevelt, or whatever. Oh, no, no, no. This is just average no-name tree. This is, this is just one among thousands of these things that are there. And this one is so common that there's no fence around it to protect it. And so Donna's up there, you know, hanging and I took a picture. Now, why am I sharing this? Here's why. For, what's this tree been doing for 2,000 years? Drawing upon the, the resources it needs to live into its calling. Do you understand? What it says in Psalm 19, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. What, part of what that means, it means many things, but part of what it means is uh, that there are many elements of the cosmos that, uh, though tainted by the fall, remain largely intact the way God intended. And here's a tree drawing on the resources it needs from the soil with the water, drawing moisture from deep in the earth in a very arid place, and just continuing to slowly, slowly grow. And along the way, as it grows, watch this, as it's growing, it's, it's being a blessing. How is a tree being a blessing? Well, uh, as, as we watch this particular tree, if you see that crack down to Donna's right in the, in the bark, you see squirrels darting in there, carrying like their winter storehouse. And so if we, you could peer under the tree, there'd be a bunch, like a squirrel commune down there with all these nuts and stuff. And, and then if you, go, if you look up, lots of branches have fallen off, but there's nests in the tree that are providing uh, uh, homes for 
uh, you know, birds, and then the tree itself inhales um, carbon dioxide, the very thing that we exhale, and exhales what? Oxygen, so that the, the, the cycle remains, so that we're here breathing air because of the trees. And so the, the, the trees are living into their calling. How? Continually receiving in order that they might what? Living into their calling to bless, do you see? And, and you, if you look at this tree, or many of the trees, they've been struck by lightning. Branches have fallen off in windstorms. They've been attacked by bugs, and they're still going strong. Why? Draw on your resources, live in your economy of blessing, done. That's the, that's the Christian life. And so, what are you? Consumer? Like just, you know, wanting to get fed and fed and fed without any sense of calling? You got to move from consumer to at least learner. And how do you learn? Not just by taking notes. Learning is both intellectual, like it's mental, but it's affective. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to do stuff to learn. So if you don't know your gifts, I'm going to encourage you. Fall rolls around here very soon and find a way to get involved. Uh, greet, as you heard at the very beginning. Or uh, work at the food bank. Or work at the homeless shelter. Or work at the mobile medical clinic. Or go on one of these mission trips uh, that, that we talk about. Or uh, serve in a way. Or get involved in our partnership with Bagley. There are lots of ways to get involved. And the point would be, don't just receive, but find your way. And you won't know your gift until you say yes to service. Because sometimes in saying yes, you'll say, oh, not that. Nope. I'm not good with senior citizens when I'm 23. That, that's, that's, we'll set that aside for now. Um, but but in, in saying yes to service, you learn your gifts. And then once you know your gifts, move from learner to what? Producer. Use your gifts. Use your gifts. Because that's where you're living in alignment with the way God created you. And until then, you're on this journey. So this is my desire for every one of us. We'll pray now and respond, asking that God would show each of us our step from consumer to learner to producer. Father, meet us now. As we close, I thank you so much for this story in all four Gospels to remind us you'll provide everything we need to live into the calling of being a blessing. May we each discover that individually and collectively as your church, Father, that the, that the light of Christ would shine with greater clarity in our city. We'll thank you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.